chapter 18, and who wants to read uh, verses 1 through 12? Verses 1 through 12. I believe that. Thank you. And then verses 13 through 27. Let's read that. Okay, thanks. All right. Not. Now Jethro, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law, heard of all that God had done for Moses and for Israel, his people, how Yahweh had brought Israel out of Egypt. And Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, took Moses' wife, Zipporah, after he had sent her away, and her two sons, of whom one was named Gershon. For Moses said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. And the other was named Eliezer, and he said, The God of my father was my help, and delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. Then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, came with his sons and his wife to Moses in the wilderness where he was camped, at the Mount of God. And he sent word to Moses, I, your father-in-law Jethro, am coming to you with your wife and her two sons with her. Then Moses went out to meet his father-in-law, and he bowed down and kissed him, and they asked each other of their welfare and went into the tent. And Moses recounted to his father-in-law all that Yahweh had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake, all the hardship that had befallen them on the journey, and how Yahweh had delivered them. And Jethro rejoiced over all the goodness which Yahweh had done to Israel, that he had delivered them from the hand of the Egyptians. So Jethro said, Blessed be Yahweh, who delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of Pharaoh, and who delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that Yahweh is greater than all the gods, for in this matter they acted presumptuously against the people. Then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, took a burnt offering and sacrifices for God. And Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat a meal with Moses' father-in-law before God. Verse 13. Now it happened the next day that Moses sat to judge the people, and the people stood about Moses from the morning till the evening. And Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people, so he said, What is the thing that you are doing for the people? Why do you alone sit as judge, and all the people stand about you from morning till until evening? And Moses said to his father-in-law, because the people came, come to me to inquire of God. When they have a matter, they come to me, and I judge between a man and his neighbor, and make known the statutes of God and his law. And Moses' father-in-law said to him, The thing that you are doing is not good. You will surely wear out, both yourself and these people who are with you, for the task is too heavy for you. You cannot do it alone. Now listen to my voice. I will give you comfort, and God be with you. You, the pe- you be the people's representative before God, and you bring the matters to them. <coughs> then warn them about the statutes and the law, and make known to them the way in which they shall go and the work they shall do. But you shall select excellent men out of all the people, those who fear God, men of truth, those who seek really gain. And you shall place these men over them as leaders of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, of not ten. Mm. Then they will judge the people at all times. 
and it will be that every major matter they will bring to you, but every minor matter they themselves will judge. So it will be easier for you, and you will, they will bear the burden with you. If you do this thing and God so commands you, then you will be able to endure, and all these people also will go to their place in peace. Go Keep going yet till the end, till the end of the chapter yet. So Moses listened, Moses listened to the voice of his father-in-law and did all that he had said. And Moses chose excellent people out of all Israel and made them head over the people, leaders of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. And they judged the people at all times. The difficult matter they would bring to Moses, but every minor matter they themselves would judge. Then Moses let his father-in-law depart, and he went away to his own land. Okay, thank you. So one of the purposes of Exodus, as we've, we've learned so far, is that um, God is introducing Israel to the world, right? This is uh, the launch of Israel on a cosmic level, historical, redemptive level. What happens to Israel in, 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 in the book of Exodus is going to impact the world for all time and history future. And so the fact that Egypt, uh, the history's world, uh, world superpower, is defeated by Israel should give us a clue about the kind of role Israel is going to have. The plagues demonstrated that Israel's God can defeat the greatest of the world's uh, governments. And uh, it, it showed that uh, Egypt's gods are nothing, that Yahweh is the only creator. And so through the adventures of Israel, through the life and times of Israel, especially in Exodus, the world is invited now to learn about who God is. Um, Last Friday in chapter 18, we look at the purpose of the law, the theme, um, chapter 18, tonight's study is about Israel's impact on the world. So that, that first, half to ch- first, half, first half of chapter 17, we learn how the, the law reveals our sinfulness, the degree of our sinfulness, the depth of our sinfulness, and the law points the way to salvation. So if you remember from last Friday... God leads Israel to Rephidim. Rephidim is right next to Sinai, and, and God is uh, building Sinai's reputation there. There's no water at Rephidim, and so this is obviously a test. Israel grumbles. They think that God wants to kill their livestock and children, and we thought this is, we, we realize this is crazy because this is right after God killed Egypt's lo- children and livestock during the Ten Plagues, while, while sparing, while dis- making the distinction between Egypt's Livestock and children and Israel's uh, livestock and children. And so Israel's understanding of God is completely wrong. They call evil good, good evil. They demand that God give them what they want, when they want. They won't take no for an answer. And what the law uh, that Israel's going to receive in chapter 20, what it reveals about sinners specifically is that unredeemed sinners want to be God. We want God to answer to us. Uh, unredeemed sinners see God the wrong way. The, 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 they, they call evil good, good evil. They refer to today and recently, they're calling God a herb created in uh, you know, her image. It, this, is, this, is, this is as old as Exodus, though. We're not surprised by this. But the law also does something else. It shows us the way to life, right? Because when Moses strikes the rock in Mount Sinai, the water comes out of Sinai. Where is Sinai? That's where Israel is going to receive the law. And so what we're learning about Sinai and the law and its reputation is that Sinai points us to the, the points us 
it shows us the way uh, to the water of life. And so when you when you get that, and, and who who what, what's the what's who, who's the water of life? Eventually, what does the law eventually point us to? Christ. Yeah, Christ. Christ. Christ is. Uh, uh, the water of life. And see, when you know this, remember I said that Exodus is a, it's the foundation of theology. When you learn Exodus, you, it, it op- it's like a key, it's a hermeneutical, hermeneutical key that opens up the rest of Scripture and you see things you never saw before. Go to Psalm 114. I, I was just reading this um, last week and, and, and because of my study in Exodus, I was like, oh, that's what it's talking about. And this is, uh, Psalm 114 is about the Exodus and when Israel went out from Egypt to, a, to the house of Jacob from a people of strange language, Judah became a sanctuary. Israel's dominion, the sea looked and fled, and Jordan turned back. Um, the mountains skipped like rams, the hills like lambs. Who disturbs you, O sea, that you flee, O Jordan, that you turn back, O mountains, that you skip like rims, O, 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 o hills like lambs? Tremble, O earth, before the Lord, before the God of Jacob, who turned the rock into a pool of water, the flint into a spring of water. What are those last two verses pointing to? What are they pointing to, guys? Christ, right? Pointing to Christ. Uh, legitimately so. Because we know, the, we know that's what Exodus is telling us. And we can assume that the, the writer of the, the, the psalmist here knows the purpose of Exodus and he's, he's writing about Christ. That... Uh, the Exodus is the exit. The ultimate destination of Exodus is Christ, the water of life. Now, the second half of chapter 17 began a new theme, and the theme uh, th- that uh, uh, that I talked about at, at the opening of our, our of our time now, and, and it's that it's this this international impact, right? What happens at Rephidim? The Amalekites attack Israel, and Moses lifts up his hands with his staff, and the staff symbolizes God's power and presence on the top of a hill for everybody to see. And when, when Moses' hands become heavy in prayer, remember that word heavy was used for glory? And the Israelites fare worse in their battle because God's glory is diminished when Moses' hands lower. And when Moses kept his hands up in prayer, Israel fared better in battle, right? And God's glory was increased. It's only when Moses' hands were steady until the sun set, when, it's only when Moses' hands were were consistently raised up in glory, did Israel defeat Amalek. And the word for steady, I told you, was the word used for faith. Um, this is how um, Israel will win. Uh, they will win uh, by uh, trusting in God. God will fight their battles for them as they uh, trust in Yahweh. Remember what it said that when Israel uh, left Egypt, what did they do to the, the Egyptians? They, they what? They plundered the Egyptians. Plundered. What kind of what kind of word is what, what, what word do you usually use that in the context of plunder? When when you plunder something, when do you, what do you what, what context do you use that word plunder? In a war, in a battle. They plundered the Egyptians. Did they fight at all? No. Who fought? God did. God did. This is how they're going to win. And so. Um, the end of chapter 17, uh, God curses Amalek, right? And we saw how that curse uh, found its way in 1 Samuel when Samuel hacks Agag, the king of the Amalekites. In Esther, we see the curse work itself out as God kills Haman, the Agagite. And so the defeat of the Amalekites and their cursing in chapter 17 
shows uh, Israel's international impact on a negative level, right? The negative side of Israel's international impact. That Israel is an agent of judgment to the nations who reject Yahweh and attack Israel. It goes all the back, all the way back to the Abrahamic covenant when God said He will bless Israel. He will bless those who bless, bless Israel, and He will curse those who curse Israel. Tonight in chapter 18, we're going to see the other side of Israel's international impact, the positive side. Because God said, in you, Abraham, will the nations be blessed, right? In Genesis 12 and 15. And so we're going to see the positive side of influence as God blesses the nations through Israel in this chapter tonight. So, we got, i got two points for you. The first point is found in verses 1 through 12. Uh, Israel's positive impact on the world. Uh, Israel's positive international impact. And um, verses, uh, verse 1 and 2, Jethro, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law, he hears of all that God had done for Moses and for, his, for Israel, his people, how uh, Yahweh had brought Israel out of Egypt. And Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, took Moses' wife Zipporah and after he had sent her away, and her two sons, verse three. So um, it says that uh, um, that what what God did for Israel in Egypt, uh, uh, Moses' father-in-law heard about it. How do you think he heard about it? Did he hear about it through the news, through CNN, uh, the newspaper? How did how did he hear about this? He's in, he's all the way in Midian. How would he know what happened to Israel in Egypt? How would he know? I'm sure it was, I mean, it's a pretty big event. Yeah. Like, oh, sure. Egypt, sure. So it spread from, like, nations. Oh, sure. Nations. Oh, sure. Yeah, it, it I mean, you, it, they didn't hear of it, like, on, you know, it wasn't, like, live television. They, they didn't have, like, uh, you know, your, your phone updates, you know, so-and-so, something happened. But eventually, the news spread, right? How would the news spread? Through caravans of uh, uh, traders through messengers, gossip, people move. People move from one city to another city. They tell their friends that. Those friends tell their other city. Uh, their friends move to another city, and it, and it continues like that. So no doubt, oh, when Moses had left Midian in the beginning of chapter, in the beginning of Exodus, he was, he was listening intently. He was, he was tracking Moses and the Israelites. He was seeing how, um, especially Moses' uh, uh, wife and their kids, so he is like looking for any, he's listening for any type of evidence to see how the Israelites are faring. And so you have in the ancient world this oral news network, and eventually he had heard everything that God had done for his people, as verse 1, set, uh, verse one tells us. Uh, and he's a priest, he's a priest, and we know earlier, remember, we learned about that and when we looked at, it, when we were in Genesis and we looked at Melchizedek, that whenever a priest uh, appears to in an individual. Israel learns something, uh, something, uh, some some new important information. When uh, Abraham met, met Melchizedek, what did he learn? What did he learn about Melchizedek that he didn't know before? What did Israel learn about what their future redeemer would be like as Abraham met Melchizedek? King and the priest he, at the same time. Yeah, he would be a king priest, right? And, and, and it's the same, same dynamic as found in uh, uh, chapter 18. Moses is going to learn some lessons from Jethro, this priest. He already learned some uh, earlier lessons when he was in Midian 
after he fled Egypt in the early part of Exodus. Remember, he learned what about he learned the the importance of his identity. That if he, if he was going to fulfill his role as a deliverer, he needed to be somebody who identified with Israel. Um, and so now, Jeth- now Jethro is going to uh, give uh, Moses and Israel some more lessons. Uh, Jethro heard that these the lessons um, uh, that he that that he learned back in uh, the lessons that Moses learned back in Midian were were fulfilled in Exodus. He learned that Moses did become one with his people, that he became a true deliverer become, by becoming a true Israelite. Uh, look what specifically, what does Jethro hear in verse 1? He hears how who had brought Israel out of Egypt? Yahweh. <coughs> See, this translation is so important. I'm translating it Yahweh, because if you miss the, the nuance and the implication of what Yahweh is trying to express. Um, uh, Jethro learned that Yahweh and no other God, he was the one who brought Israel out of Egypt. Uh, Yahweh, not, not no Egyptian God, no Midianite God, it was Yahweh, Israel's God, uh, the true God, bringing Israel out of the, uh, and crushing the world's first superpower. And Yahweh didn't just do this providentially, but it was miraculous. It was a powerful, uh, powerful intervention. Now he brings uh, two sons, um, two sons, to him. Why do you think uh, Moses sent his wife and his two sons away while he was in, e- in Egypt? Safety. Probably. Safety. Yeah, it's, it's yeah, probably safety. It's uh, you know, uh, to be Pharaoh's number one enemy is not is not very, uh, not very. Safe. It's a dangerous uh, situation to be in. So now that it is safe, now that they are heading back to the promised land, um, Jethro brings his two sons uh, back to him. And remember when he gave these names to his two sons, it was in the wilderness. It was when uh, Moses had fled uh, Egypt. And it was in the desert, it was in the wilderness, that God was uh, shaping and forming Moses' identity and his, and, and his character. And the names he, that he gives his son reflects, it reflects these lessons that Moses was learning in the wilderness at the beginning of, uh, at the beginning of Exodus. And, and one of the, the first lessons he learns in, 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 that, in, those, in those years of formation was verse 3. Gershom, for Moses said, I have been a so- sojourner in a foreign land. So the name shows, the name represents the lessons that Moses was learning. And he was learning this, that he's always been a sojourner in Egypt, that he was never an Egyptian. He may have been the son of a princess. He may have been related by adoption or what, however, royalty. But you know what? In the desert, he realized, you know what? He's not an Egyptian. He is not an Egyptian. He's been a sojourner in a foreign land. Um, so um, he's learning that he needs to identify with Israel. He learns another lesson, verse 4. And we see that lesson expressed in the way he names his second uh, son, Eliezer. For he said, the God of my father was my help and delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. And so he learns that 
that, that, that God is going to deliver him from Pharaoh's power. That, and, and so when Jethro comes back um, to Pharaoh, uh, when, I'm sorry, when Jethro comes back to Moses, he's telling, he's telling Moses that, you know what, Moses? You know those names that you named your children? Those lessons that you learned? They have now been fulfilled in the Exodus, right? You were learning your identity. You were learning that you were, an, you were not an Egyptian. And now, Moses, you fully identify as an Israelite. Now you fully know that God was able to deliver you from Pharaoh. See, Jethro is saying these lessons you learned in the, in the, in the wilderness, they have all been fulfilled I am coming to testify you, testify you of that, right? All of this has been actualized. Everybody knows now. The world is saying this. Israel is learning these lessons about, uh, about, about Yahweh, about Israel, right? He's confirming that what he initially learned has now been solidified. He's, he's made it. You know, Moses is now a Jedi master. Remember when Luke comes back to Yoda and he, and he gets training? And he says, I need more training. I need to, I need to, you have to finish what you started. What did Yoda say to him? You know everything now. Yet Yoda confirms. He confirms, right? In the same way. Jethro is like Yoda, right? And he's saying, look, look. You don't like that? Okay, fine. Look, your two sons, look at your two sons, grown. They've been fulfilled, right? Moses, you've learned your lessons. You lesson. In 5 and 6, Jethro, notice, he's the one who came with his sons and his wife. Look at verse 6. He sent word to Moses before he left. Before he left. I, your father-in-law, Jethro, I'm the one coming to you. I'm coming to you. Jethro came with his sons, verse 5. Verse 6, I am coming to you. Moses didn't go to him. No, it was Jethro who came to Moses. It shows you what? That the world is coming to Moses. The world is coming to Israel. The lesser comes to the greater. Moses doesn't have to go to the nations to join them. The nations come to him. And that theme you see throughout scripture, right? That's it, at the height of Solomon's reign, did, he, did Solomon go to all the nations? No, all the nations came to Israel. Um, the Queen of Sheba, I'll get you one, one second. The Queen of Sheba, she, she came to Israel, right? Oh, look at how Isaiah describes the future in Isaiah 2. Good Isaiah 2. Isaiah 2, 1 through 4. Isaiah 2, the word which Isaiah the son of Amos beheld concerning Judah and Jerusalem. Now it will be in the last days the mountain of the house of Yahweh will be established as the head of the mountains and will be lifted above the hills and all the nations, all the nations will stream to it. And many peoples will come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of Yahweh, to the house of God of Jacob, that he may instruct us from his ways and that we may walk in his paths. For from Zion the law will go forth and the word of Yahweh from Jerusalem and he will judge between the nations. And will render decisions for many peoples. They will hammer their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. 
Nations will not lift up sword against nation, and never again will they learn war. See, in Abraham's seed, in you, uh, God said to Abraham, in you the nations will be blessed. This is the Abrahamic coming, Abrahamic covenant coming to fruition. Yes, Candy. I have a question. What type of priest is Jethro? He's a pagan priest. A pagan? He's a pagan priest, yeah. Mm. He's a pagan priest, and uh, but he's he has some wisdom. And he, at, at this point in chapter 8, he's like, at, at the very, the, he is, he's at the, the, he's at the very tip of faith. He's almost there. He's almost arriving to conversion. He's almost arriving. So he's listening. He's learning. He's changing. He's turning. Go ahead. Does he arrive to We'll find out. We'll find out tonight. All right. We shall find out. So um, we go to verse 7. Uh, it says, Moses went out to meet his father-in-law, and he bowed down and kissed him out of honor and of respect. And they... They asked each other about their welfare, and that word welfare is the word shalom in Hebrew. Um, it means peace. They're asking each other about peace. And shalom, if you know if you know anything about that word before, if you heard it, has the idea of this of fullness of peace, this wholeness. It's to be whole on every level, spiritual, physical. Um, and and so we're learning that in the future uh, the world will come to Israel. What they what will they find? They will find shalom. They will find peace. We just, we just read that in Isaiah 2, right? They come to Israel. They come to Jerusalem. And they will hammer their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not lift up sword against nation. And, and never again will they learn war, right? They're, they're asking about each other's peace. This wholeness on every level. And Jethro goes into whose tent? Moses' tent. The world is joining Moses' family. And so Israel already is having this international impact impact on the world. This positive international impact. So a lot of people will criticize dispensationalists and say, hey, you're so crazy about Israel. You're so obsessed with Israel. And that's not, the tr- that's not true. No, we love Israel because we love the whole world, right? Because we know that Israel is, is the key to shalom for the world. And so what happens in this tent? What happens in this tent? Uh, well, in the following verses, we will see that worship, worship happens in this tent. Verse 8, Moses recounted to his father-in-law all that, who, who, who did this? Yahweh. Yahweh had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sakes. He recounted to him all the hardship that had befallen them on the journey and how Yahweh, Yahweh's the one that had delivered them. See, Israel is proclaiming theology and worship. See, in worship, what do we do in worship? Worship, we, we tell people about what God has done, right? What do, when, when somebody's preaching and teaching... What are we doing? We're saying this is what God has done. Like you can't, you can't respond in worship unless somebody tells you about who God is and what He's done. And this is this is this is what Moses is doing. He's teaching and preaching. He's he's teaching uh, Jethro um, who this God is and what He's done. Look at verse nine. What is worship? Worship is when. Um, you receive theology like Jethro does in verse 9. And Jethro rejoiced 
over all the goodness which Yahweh, Yahweh, not any other God, not the gods of Egypt, not the God of Midian, but what Yahweh had done, that he delivered them from the hand of, of Egyptians. Um, Jethro, he's learning who Yahweh is. He's, he's learning the name of Yahweh. What, is that, what does that mean? And then look at verse 10. Blessed be Yahweh. And this is language from the Abrahamic covenant. Remember, in you all the nations will be blessed. Yes, Yahweh blesses us, but it's Yahweh the one who is ultimately, ultimately blessed because he's the only one who can turn can turn curse into blessing. And what stands out in Jethro's acceptance of Yahweh is that the fact, he says this a few times, or he repeats it in verse 10, verse 10, blessed be Yahweh who delivered you from the hand of the, of the Egyptians, from the hand of Pharaoh, who delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Right? See, God uses this historical reality of Egypt and it's Egypt being the first uh, world's greatest superpower. And Jethro, he, he realizes there's no way that this little, this little tiny country of shepherds could have defeated uh, Pharaoh. There's no way that y you and your own strength could have been delivered. And so uh, God uses this kind of David and Goliath kind of battle, little Israel against the greatest superpower of the world. And he uses it to bring people to faith in him. And here, verse 11, and when Candy asked, does Jethro become a follower? He becomes a follower of Yahweh in verse 11, right? He says, now I know, now I know that Yahweh is greater than all the gods. For in this manner they acted presumptuously against the people. Now I know that Yahweh is supreme. Nobody's greater than Yahweh. He's greater than all the, the gods, all the false gods of the world. Um, the, the Egyptians, they acted presumptuously against the people. The Egyptians and the gods, they thought they were, they thought Israel was nothing. They thought Yahweh was nothing. Remember when, when, what Pharaoh said when Moses first introduced the name of Yahweh to Pharaoh? Pharaoh said, who is this Yahweh? I don't know this Yahweh guy. Well, now Pharaoh does, and now Jethro does. Um, here is true worship and conversion. And Jethro's conversion represents the nations who will one day convert in the future. All the world will come to know um, that Yahweh is greater than all the gods. And so, verse 12, uh, Jethro, he offers a burnt offering, right? Jethro uh, worships, he took a burnt offering and sacrifices for God. He worships him. He comes with Aaron, all the elders. The elders represent the nation of Israel. They eat this meal together. It's like, it's like communion. They're celebrating their, union, their unity um, in their worship of Yahweh. Israel has always been for the world, for the nations. And they have this kind of mini banquet together. And we see a, a, a glimpse we see a glimpse of the, of the future. Go to Isaiah 25. Isaiah, uh, Isaiah 25 says in the future that when all the nations come to Jerusalem, verse 6, 25, and, and Yahweh of hosts will prepare a lavish banquet for all peoples on this mountain. There's the lavish banquet. 
a banquet of aged wine, choice pieces with marrow, and refined aged wine, right? But that happened first here in Moses' tent. Jethro, this Gentile, this foreigner, and they're all worshiping God, and they're eating a meal together before God. So, um, verses 12, we looked at the, the positive international impact of Israel uh, to the world. This is how Israel would impact the world. The, Israel will bring the rest of the world to the, to the worship, to the knowledge and worship of Yahweh. Now, we move to our second point in verses 13 through 27. And some of you, what have you uh, kind of, uh, what do we often hear about these verses? What, what have you been often taught about the main point of verses 13 through 27? What have you heard? You heard, usually if you, you've heard some type of teaching on these verses, you've heard that these verses are about delegation, right? Learning how to share the responsibi- responsibility of leadership with others, you know, this is kind of leadership 101. Now, why is that kind of strange? Why is that kind of why is that kind of a strange interpretation? Well, if you consider the context, the immediate context, right? Israel leaves Egypt. They're they're leaving, and then we learn that the first lessons they learn is about the law, the nature of the law the purpose of the law, that it reveals sin, that it leads to life. You've been, we've been learning about um, Israel's role in the world, its negative, uh, uh, its negative role, its positive role, right? And then all of a sudden, and then we know that they get to Mount Sinai in chapter 19, they receive the law in chapter 20. Why would God teach them about delegation? What an odd lesson. So... What, is that conclu- what, what, what should we kind of conclude then? It's probably not the main point then, right? Delegation is probably not the main point. So what, what is the main point? Well, we, we, we established in the first half of chapter 18, uh, this is Israel's role to the world. But now we have to figure out how will Israel fulfill its role to the world? We learn that the purpose of the law reveals sin. It points to salvation. We've learned about how Israel will bless the world. It will curse its God's enemies. It will bless the world who comes to faith in him. And this ch- last ch- half of chapter 18 puts all that together. See, if you put to- those, t- those t- two themes together, the law and its role and its impact, and Israel's role to the world and Israel's impact, if you put those, t- put those two things together, what you get is the second half of chapter 18. So the second half of chapter 18 is not about delegation. It's not about methodology. It's not about like leadership 101. Okay? That's, that, that's, that's, not, the, that's not the main point. I mean, maybe you can use that if you want to talk about it as like a secondary point, but it's not the main point. The main point is this. What are you delegating? It's not the how... That's the most important part of this section. It's the what. What are you delegating? What are we delegating to all the people? See, the second half of chapter 18 is about the sufficiency of the word of God. It's about the sufficiency of God's law. 
It's about sola scriptura. And so how is Israel going to influence the world? Through the word of God. But in order for Israel to do that, the word of God needs to be disseminated properly, effectively. It needs to go out there. It needs to go out. It needs to spread as soon as possible. So look at verse 13. Now it happened the next day that Moses sat to judge the people, and the people stood about Moses from the morning until the evening. Um, so the, the problem isn't that there's too many people. The problem is this. There's too many people, and Moses is the only one who knows the Bible. He's the only one who knows the Word of God. That's the problem. And so, verse 14, Moses' Moses' father-in-law saw that all that he was doing for the people, and he said, What is this thing you are doing for the people? Why do you alone uh, sit as judge and all the people stand about you from morning until evening? So we see that Moses is not just a judge, but he is a he's a he's a he's a prophet. He dispenses God's revelation. Moses 15. Moses said to his father-in-law, because the people come to me to inquire of God. When they have the matter, it comes to me, and I judge between a man and his uh, uh, neighbor and make known the statues of God and his laws. Um, so this is, this is the issue. Um, it's not delegation. The, the delegation is not a, the point of the text. It's how do we get the word of God out as fast as we can? How do we get it out as wide as we can? As far and wide as possible. As soon as possible. That's the issue. Um, verse 17. Moses' father-in-law said to him, The thing you are doing is not, is not good. Uh, verse 18. You, are, you will surely wear out, both, you, you, yours, both yourself and these people who are with you. For the task is too heavy for you. Remember that word? Heavy. Glorious. It, this, is, this task is too glorious for you. Um, this is more than this is more this is this is more than you, Moses. This is not about you. This is about the word of God and the people of God. So when his father-in-law Jethro looks at Moses, what does he see? He sees a Bible hog. You Bible hog, stop being a Bible hog. <laughs> you know, everybody needs to know the word of God, not just you, Moses. Uh, verse nineteen. You can be the point person. Yes, you can be the revealer. God reveals the law uh, through you to the rest of the people. Verse 19. Now listen to my voice. Jethro is talking to Moses now. I will give you counsel and be God with you. You be the people's representative before God and you bring the matters to God. Yes, you're the, you're the revelator. Um, then warn them about the statutes and the laws and make known to them the way in which they shall go and the work they shall do. Right? You're the, um, but you need to do something more. You shall select excellent men out of all the people, those who fear God, men of truth, those who hate greedy gains. It almost sounds like these are the qualifications of, of elders, right? And you shall place these men um, uh, uh, over uh, them as leaders of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, of tens. Moses, you've got to teach everybody the word. Everybody needs to, to be instructed. Everybody needs to know the law. Everybody needs to know their their, their Bibles, right? You need to get the word out as soon as possible. You need to equip people to, to teach the word of God as soon as possible. 
and, and not just teach them, but to make sure that people are not just hearers of the word, but doers of the word, right? Um, you're going to place these men who also know the word, who also know the law, leaders of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, of tens. Scripture, scripture needs to be known in every crook and every corner of society, right? Everybody needs to know scripture. You need to get it out. Every single person here at the edge of the de desert, somebody in their tent, somebody in the, in the wilderness, everybody needs to know, right? Um, this, 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 this phrase in verse 21 leaders of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, of tens. It's basically, it's basically a figure of speech to mean uh, various societal levels, various population groups, the, the, the rich, the middle class, the poor. Everybody needs to know the word. Everybody needs to be doing the word, living by the word. And what you see, is, what you see here is that, that the, the sufficiency, right, the word, the law is sufficient for all of life. Later on in Deuteronomy or in Exodus and then in Deuteronomy, you're going to see what? There's a moral aspect of the law. There's a civic aspect. There's a religious aspect. And, and implied in this giving of the law is that it's sufficient for all of your life. All that you need, all that you need is in the law. So just get it out there and everything will be okay. It covers everything. A to Z. That's all you need. You don't need anything more. See, Scripture is sufficient. It's sufficient. Verse 22. And they will judge the people, and it will be that every matter, major matter, um, they will bring to you. You know, you can be, you're the last court, you're the supreme court in a sense. They will bear the burden with you. Verse 23. If you do this thing, and God so commands you, then you will be able to endure, and all these peoples also will go uh, to their place in peace. So, how, how, will, how will Israel fulfill its positive impact to the world, world? Through the dissemination of God's word. Through the dissemination of God's word. And look, look what it says here. Verse 23, if you do this thing, and so God commands you, then you will be able to endure, and all these people also will, be, will, will also go to their place in peace. You, you disseminate the world to the nations, and this will bring about peace. Remember, where did we see that before? Right? Where did you see that before? Isaiah 2. Go back to Isaiah 2. Right? In the last days, they, they go to the nations, go to Yahweh. And how does Israel bless the nations? Why are the nations going to Jerusalem? What kind of, how will they receive this blessing? How does Israel bless the nations? Verse 3, to the house of God of Jacob, that he may instruct us from his ways, and that we may walk in his paths. For from Zion the law will go forth, and the word of Yahweh from Jerusalem. Verse 4, and he will what? Judge between the nations, and will render decisions for many peoples. And what will that produce? Peace. They will hammer their swords into plowshares, and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not lift up sword against nation, and never again will they learn war. You saw that already in the second half of chapter 18 of the book of Exodus, right? It's all here. This is how Israel fulfills its role to the world, by preaching the word, getting the word out there as quickly as can, as thoroughly as possible, and that's going to produce peace, right? 
So this the second half of chapter 18, not about delegation, not about leadership. It's about the sufficiency of the Word of God, the importance of the Word of God, but it's about, about teaching the Word of God. And so well, kind of, this, is kind of a, this is kind of a model of ministry, right? I, 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 don't, I don't, you know, part of the way I teach is not to give you the fish, it's to teach you how to catch the fish. I go verse by verse to, I, I tell you how I get there, I try to tell you what my thinking is so that you can do it, so that you can be teachers, so that you can teach other people, right? That's the, that's the idea of uh, Ephesians, right? Ephesians, what is the role of a pastor? It's the same model you find in, in, in Exodus 18. Um, Ephesians chapter 4, uh, verse 11. Uh, he gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors, some teachers. For, for what? For the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. So the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, they take the word of God, they equip the saints, and the saints do the work of service. And the saints build up the body of Christ. The, 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 these, these offices, these, they disseminate the word of God, and, and, and the body does what? Verse 15, speaking the truth in love, we're able to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head that is Christ verse 14 I skipped so that we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine by the trickiness of men by craftiness and deceitful scheming you know so no longer will you be led astray by erroneous teaching by bad teaching there is so much bad teaching out there there's so much erroneous teaching out on, on the internet, in books. It's just everywhere. And so you're to be taught well so that you can teach others, so you can minister to others. And we saw that back in chapter 18. Go back to chapter 18 as we finish up our time here. Moses uh, listened to the voice of his father-in-law and did all that he said. And Moses chose excellent men out of all Israel and made them heads over the people, leaders of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, of tens. And they judged the people at all times. A difficult matter they would bring to Moses, but every matter, minor matter they themselves would judge. Then Moses let his father-in-law depart, and he went his way into his own land. See, the world, the world knows, everybody knows that, this is, that, this, that Israel needs to be about the word of God. Right, Jethro, as he represents the nations, he, he's, he's telling them, listen, this is Israel's mission. It's all about God's word. Everybody knows this. Everybody needs to rely on God's word alone. Nothing else. And this is how Israel will impact the world by teaching them the, the, the word. And so this is kind of a, this is Israel's main function. This is the main function of, of God's people. And this is what? For now, until Christ returns, I mean, until Israel is restored, this is the church's role. This is how the church impacts the nations and the world by teaching the Word of God, by teaching God's people the Word. The, the, the word. And so when the, when the church capitulates to the world, we fail in our role. 
Because the world is looking at the, at the church for leadership, for guidance. So we can't shut our mouths, no matter what they do to us, no matter what they try to do to us. If, we should be, if we're quiet, if we shut our mouths, we fail in our task. We fail to be this international impact to the world. So even if, even if they don't want it, even if, even if they don't want it, we have to say it. Again. We have to still say it. We have to speak the truth in love. You know, verse twenty-seven. You know, uh, Jethro he goes home now, and he goes home knowing that if he wants to know about, uh, he wants answers from the law. He knows where to go. His mission has been accomplished. He can tell his people, "Hey, Midianites, I know Yahweh is the one true God." And if you want to know more about what his word says, I know where you can go. You need to go where, 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 where the people of God are. And so um, this, is, this is chapter 18. Uh, Israel's impact on the world and um, how, they, how they will impact the world through the law and through the word of God. All right. Any questions? Any questions? Any thoughts? Um, do yes. Yes, we, we, we uh, uh, Zipporah and the two sons, they aren't mentioned, I don't think they're really mentioned after this, mm -hmm. so they, the, it's silent about what happens to them, but I'm assuming if his father-in-law brought them to him, he, he let them stay there, okay. and it just says that Jethro went home by himself, so we can assume that they stayed, they stayed with Moses, yeah, okay. so that's, that's what it would seem to imply. Uh, do you do you think Moses made a moral compromise not marrying one of his own uh, when he escaped to Midian and married um, a pagan priest's daughter? I, I think um, you know God doesn't uh, doesn't doesn't uh, tell us he was displeased or doesn't make a judgment call. I think it, w it probably wasn't ideal, but God was incredibly gracious. And I think there's just a lot of mercy and grace in this era, in this period, because um, the, the revelation that they have is so limited. Yes. And so he just gives them grace according to the limited revelation they have. So I think he was really gracious with that, you know. And that standard came after, right? The, when they were discussing... That full... Standard came after, but there were bits and pieces that God seemed to have give, had to, that God seems to have given His people, and we know that because in chapter eighteen, Jethro offers a burnt offering, right? But the burnt offering comes later in the law, so um, there seems to be there were some things that they 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 did know God's will in a very limited sense, but not the fullness of the law we find in later in Exodus, Leviticus, and Deuteronomy. It was Isaac and Rebecca as president, and then in Egypt they didn't intermarry. They married within their people. Yes, yes, yes. So, I, uh, so yeah, I, I definitely think there was a knowledge of this is the ideal, but I think um, it still wasn't like set in stone. And I think still God was gracious considering the circumstances, um, and especially, especially kind of in the in the in the culture 
that time when you know you married somebody, they were ex expected to worship your God. Yes. You still have that in the world today. Yes. Like whoever you marry, well, I now have to be the, you know, I have to, I have to worship their God. So I think there was some of that too. But, yeah. Although a case would be made and has been made that Jethro may have been one of those priests that you got, uh, like Job, like Melchizedek. Well, I think because of chapter 18, it, it seems like he's converting. But he's converting. It yes. seems like he's converting. Yes. So he's like coming to saving faith here. And finally, sorry, Jim, sorry uh, uh, about this slew of questions, but what, what are these sacrifices? They, the system of sacrifices was not instituted yet. Yeah, but I think there was some oral oral knowledge. Um, I, I, you know, the Abel offered a, a better sacri a better offering, right? In in uh, you know Genesis, and so I if, and then there was. Oh, and Abraham and his altar and the sacrifices. So there was some instruction about sacrifices, yeah. But a burnt offering, that's kind of a more advanced type of offering. So there seems to be even more uh, revelation dispensed about offering. Yeah, Jim? When did he... Uh, well, it's made explicitly in Deuter the law when they receive the Deuteronomy, but it's implied in places where, um, remember, I think Esau married some a non-Israelite, and his parents were displeased. They were upset. They made outside the family. Right from the same family. So there seems to be... I mean, I, there is a there is this knowledge of the seed, right? That Seth is the godly line, and there are ungodly lines. So very early on, you have, in Genesis, you have a godly genealogy, ungodly. I don't think Moses is all his I'm sorry. I don't think Moses, not Moses, Abraham. I don't think his relatives. Uh, uh, Abraham is different because he was, yes, he was uh, from a pagan family, and I think he was rescued out of that. Right, right. So, I, but you still have earlier than Abraham, you still have uh, rec gene genealogical records that Abraham would have probably come to have learned that this is the godly line, this is the Seth, the line of Seth. So, you know, the, and and the implications of that. If there's a godly line, therefore, maybe I should marry somebody within in the godly line, right? Cool. Any other comments, questions? There must have been limited knowledge about God sure. the nations. Sure. Before Abraham. Uh, oh yeah, sure. Here and there. Sure, sure. Job. Right. Job, yeah. Job was not a Jew. Job was not a Jew. Um Job. He's pre Abrahamic. No, Job, uh, Job, I think Job, I don't, when is Job, um, he's not a Jew. When is Job, um, come on the scene, I forgot. I think Job comes, uh, I think he comes after Abraham. He comes after Abraham. In between, in between Abraham and Joseph is, I think, the story of Job. But I, I forgot. I can't be exactly sure. Why do you think he comes before Abraham? 
think it's the oldest story in the Bible. It is the oldest story. Joe. It's the oldest story for sure, but it's not the oldest um, record of a story. Yeah, so, yeah. so Genesis is older than Job, yeah. but, but Genesis comes after Job. So I think the happenings of Job, I think it happens between, um, um, between uh, Abraham and Joseph. And the reason is there's, there's some names, uh, some gene genealogical names that you find in between Genesis that you see in Job, the same names. Right, right, right. So that means uh, Joseph probably had the book of Job. <laughs> So, it, you know, so that means one of the, I think, the reason why Joseph was able to endure in prison was because he had Job, or he knew of Job. So, mm -hmm. kind of interesting. All right, well, you're dismissed. That's, if that's it, thank you very much. Oh, yeah, you like it?